broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's time for Chicago Business Radio. Brought to you by FirmSpace, your private sanctuary for productivity and growth. To learn more, go to firmspace.com. Now, here's your host. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chicago Business Radio. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and we have a great show for you all today. But first, as a reminder, our show is sponsored by FirmSpace. Without FirmSpace, we couldn't be sharing these important stories that we do. So let's jump right in. On today's show, we have the managing attorney of Elizabeth L. Carter Esquire, LLC. Please welcome to the show, Elizabeth L. Carter. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Lovely intro. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, so let's jump right into things. How are you serving folks? Oh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a good question, a loaded question. But I'll say today um, and, and at this moment, I, as you mentioned, I manage a law practice called Elizabeth L. Carter, Esquire LLC, uh, which is a crowdfunding securities law firm uh, with the intent of providing legal strategy and compliance surrounding the offer of security. So if you're a business owner that's looking to raise capital from investors, I will help with the legal strategy around that as well as making sure that it's legal and compliant with both federal and state law. And what my firm specifically focused on underrepresented founders so or businesses and nonprofits, so namely Black-owned, Afro-Latinx-owned, because of the limited and uh, insufficient resources for these businesses, including legal. So I wanted to be accessible to the community that otherwise wouldn't be served. Definitely. Now, you talk about raising capital or crowdfunding. I know all about crowdfunding, like for Kickstarter. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the type of crowdfunding that you're specifically doing? Yeah, so Kickstarter is what you would call rewards-based crowdfunding, and GoFundMe is what you would call donation-based, and then the type of crowdfunding that I'm specifically referencing, especially when it comes to the legal strategy, the law part of it, are are called investment crowdfunding. So rewards um, is similar to donation, and that, well, donation is the easiest. Donation is, hey, I have a business. Can you all just support me? And, and you get nothing in return. You're just helping it, helping me out. You want to see this project come off the ground and you all want to see, you know, some, a great asset in the community. Help me out and, and donate. Uh, rewards is similar, except that rewards is saying, hey, in exchange, there is a small token of appreciation, so to speak. Right. Um, but it, you have to be careful because some states have found uh, what they would deem as a rewards crowdfunding an actual investment crowdfunding offer. And the states, you know, the regula- regulations there or the or the securities office there, you know, will harp down and say, hey, actually, you're selling a security. And so what makes the security and rewards different is that although this rewards are saying you get something in return, it's not so expensive or so valuable to be deemed as a security. So a security is anytime someone's giving you money with an expectation of return and passively giving you money. So it's a difference, Max, if you and I decide to go in business together, we're co- officers, I don't know, maybe you're the CEO, I'm the CFO or something. We're both working actively in the business, but we have money in the business as well. In other words, we invest it, but that's different from a security because we're actively involved in the company. However, if Max, you have a company, you say, hey, Elizabeth, I'm raising funds. Can you help me out? Um, And in return, you get a share of the profits. You get a share of the company's ownership. And I don't do anything else but just give you money. And I walk away and live my life and I rely on your expertise. That's called a security. So the SEC, which is the Securities Exchange Commission, federal, the federal agency, as well as the state uh, specific, or state relevant ones there, they call it, I don't know, uh, Illinois Securities um, Office or something. And what they do is they want to protect 
mice that, that passive investor. They want to make sure that Max in this case, for example, that you're going to do the right thing and make sure that you're not defrauding Elizabeth when she's giving your money because she doesn't know what's going on because she's passive, right? So that's the difference. And so when rewards come into play, what happened in that particular example that I, I mentioned earlier is that I think it was a motorcycle that they were raising fund or funds for and say, hey, if you give me money in exchange, we'll give you a motorcycle, right? Well, once we develop them, it's for to manufacture these motorcycles. Well, the state security regulator said, hey, that's actually a very valuable, they actually received a return because they gave you 4,000 and in the turn, they received a, a motorcycle that was worth 5,000. So they actually received something on top of that money that they gave you. So it could, those nuances are very important because people just don't know and they can be engaging in something that gets them in trouble unless they have an, a lawyer or uh, yeah, a securities lawyer, someone that's competent in, in capital raising that can help guide them there. Yeah, for sure. And you explained that beautifully. Very well okay. said. And I got to tell you, you said that if we went into business together and I'd be the CEO and you'd be the CFO. No, no, no. I would not be the CEO. Uh-uh, no way. Not after that explanation. Uh-uh, not me. Uh, so, but hearing you explain everything, I'm curious, how do investors get their money back? Yeah, it, it, honestly, any investment is risky, which is which is always sort of the general, okay, anytime you put your money here, if there's a risk, you can lose it all. However, um, you or whoever's raising the funds should actually go more specific and say, well, why is it particularly risky to invest, I don't know, in a cannabis business and in a state like, I don't know, let's see, uh, New Jersey. New Jersey hasn't legalized cannabis yet as far as recreation. Well, uh, it's really risky because it may have a lot of fee, uh, fees and criminal penalties and all your money can be lost because the state may say that wasn't a valid contract. So. So these things need to be disclosed. Um, and so the idea, though, is that it should be written down on paper in your investment documents how this founder or this business owner is going to return your money. Um, they should do the analysis. They should hire a financial advisor or even an accountant who can do some projections, especially if they're a startup with no revenue, right? Or even if they have some revenue, there's, a, there's calculations, there's formulas to kind of predict what the outcome financially will be. Um, and, and so you should do that. Now, some, especially in crowdfunding, I should say, especially, I think even a VC or venture capital, um, there isn't a lot of that due diligence happening, um, in terms of literally calculations and numbers. Sometimes I think in the venture capital world, they do have a lot of, uh, resources and software to kind of predict these things, but it's almost like going to the doctors and you, the, the, the doctor have a medical doctor, he's practiced, I don't know, 40 years. He can look at a lump on your forehead, forehead and say, oh, I know exactly what that is versus a new doctor that have to go back, research, do some, look into the books. Is it a mole? Is it this? And so that's sort of the venture capital investor versus the crowdfunding investor. The venture capital investor is more of an expert because this is what they do. They have, again, they, they go to, they even have a courses for it, right? You go to class, you're a financial advisor. Whereas a crowdfund investor is your neighbor, it's your friend, it's your customer who isn't necessarily an investor by trade, but want to support you. And so you want to make sure you're disclosing everything in, in layman's terms that they can understand because they may not uh, understand how they're getting their money back. So part of this, you doing your work, putting it down and doing your, your due diligence and say, this is what how I project and how I predict. Um, and then you can also say, listen, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to give you that. So long as you say that and the investor's okay with that, then you're fine. As far as legally, you're fine because you're disclosing that fact. You know what I mean? You're disclosing, well, I don't know exactly, but I'm, I can tell you that I'm going to work hard and people believe in you. And so long as you say, I do, I mean, of course, you're going to put in better words, but basically the gist is saying, 
I haven't done the numbers and you will see it because there's nothing in your, your disclosure documents that show that you've done the numbers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see a lot of that too. in these documents, it may say, well, upon the discretion of the manager or the the CEO, and that doesn't tell the investor anything. It doesn't tell you if you're going to get dividends next month or on a quarterly basis or a year, it just says whenever the CEO deems it worthy or deems it uh, feasible to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't give you a lot of insight. So all that long way of saying it really just depends on what the business owner has, what kind of homework they have done and what kind of strong financial analysis they've done themselves to say, okay, this is how I'm going to return money. In addition to the financial return, going back to the risk factors and and like going back to the cannabis example, part of that is even if you had a sound business model and you know exactly going to make a million dollars next year and you laid it all out financially or capital, you know, in the mathematically and everything is, is on point, um, a, it's not guaranteed because it's still a prediction, but also the idea that it's, it's an illegal enterprise, that none of that matters, right? And so that's also something to consider is like, what are some other non-financial risks that can actually make uh, affect the investment so that the investor may or may not receive their funds, may lose all their investment, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely. So I'm, I want to know, how does your legal fund help support these businesses that come to you because as we were talking you know there's all these complex laws regulations Mm -hmm. it's difficult it's hard especially if you're a small business there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff you might not know so how does your legal fund help support these people who come to you yes i'm glad you brought that up so i'm super excited about this fund because it solves a problem even within a solution. So let me explain what I mean. Crowdfunding was designed to be a solution for a problem in the capital raising world. In other words, before the Jobs Act of 2012, which is what uh, instituted and, and made legal this raising capital from nationally from both accredited investors. Who made, so accredited meaning you make over 200K a year, over $1 million of net worth as an individual. And then as well as non-accredited investors, those are basically the 90% of the country, right? Those who don't make that much and who don't have that network. That jobs at 2012 allowed, uh, and, and then the amendment in 2015 allowed for non-accredited investors to get involved uh, on a national scale, um, in general advertising so that you can just publicly advertise these things. Of course, there's restrictions. We have to go into that, but it changed the game a bit in terms of investment. Whereas before, investment was really relegated to wealthy individuals, people that you know, um, because it was much more costly to try to reach out to a non-accredited investor that you don't know than it was for accredited investors that you do know. And so, Crowdfunding was designed to democratize capital raising to say, hey, small businesses, A, do not have the type of funds or the type of revenue to pay hundreds of thousand dollars a year to register their business with the SEC, like like IPOs or public companies do now, right? So one, it helps with that. So there's exemptions where that business does not have to register so long as they follow these particular rules, right? Then the other side is, okay, in addition to that, it opened up the floodgates in terms of where they can get their money from. Now they can literally reach out to their customers and reach out to their supporters and members and followers on Instagram to say, Hey, I'm raising funds. You want to support as little as, as much as you want, $5, a hundred dollars. So it makes it more accessible. However, there's still a cost to raising capital. So that business owner, it looks easier now and it is easier, I should say, but there's still that compliance where that we just got done talking about, right? There's still those drafting those documents, the investment documents, the risk factors, making sure that you're laying out all the particulars so that you can say that you're not misrepresenting any investor and what your business can do, right? That cost, and that's the legal compliance. 
let alone the accounting that comes with it, let alone the marketing that comes with it. So there's this upfront pre-seed cost that that is there that a lot of different, lot many uh, founders, particularly Black-owned and Latinx-owned founders, just do not have because of generational wealth just didn't pass down the same way. So friends and family is what I'm speaking about. This friends and family round is a, it's a term of art within a capital raising space that basically means historically was you can literally go to your grandfather, your, you know, your heir to the throne. You can say, hey, I need 5K, 100K for my idea. Please, grandma, give it to me. Oh, here you go. Right. We have an extra cash to give it and invest in our grandson or our son or daughter. And it was usually a son, a white male. Right. And usually in that back in the day. And so now moving forward in the modern age, it's still they still use that. Now, the, the friends and family may not be literally your friends and family, but they're your network. There's the, their wealthy you know, other wealthy Silicon Valley investors or people that were around you in that space. But underrepresented, marginalized, and, and people of color just do not have that same network. And so even within the community, they can't pull that much amount of capital together in order to even pay, even raise the crowdfunding. So I say all that to say, my fund is designed to help offset those costs, particularly legal costs, by subsidizing and calling on our community collectively and say, hey, this public is my friends and family. Let's help these Black-owned businesses to raise capital sustainably and legally, because otherwise people just go in without that legal legal shield and put themselves at risk. So how much money are you looking to raise through the fund? As much as possible. So I can mm. give you an example of how much it costs legal, just legal. So um, on average, I mean, the, the, so there's regulation crowdfunding, which is probably the... Uh, the most accessible and the one that that has the least amount you can raise in a year. Right now, it's up to $5 million. You have to go through a portal, regulation crowdfunding portal, to do so. That, on average, costs about $20,000 legally to do um, and, and competent counsel. So what I did as I was engaging in this practice, I decided I knew that I couldn't compare my firm to sort of the typical securities law firms, especially where I have a mission to, to be accessible to those who just don't have that type of funding for the most part, right? And so I've decided to do my own analysis, conduct my own sort of internal pricing and say, okay, what will it cost my firm to do this? And so on, on ad, or for that particular offer, the chief is about around 10K, right? So you think 10K per founder, we have over 50 applicants so we really want, need to raise as much as possible, knowing that we probably won't raise, you know, the entire bulk. But I think as much as as much as we can, we'll re- definitely do a, a whole lot to help subsidize. And subsidize can be have, it can be take a thousand dollars, whatever we can do to help that founder sustainably do so. Um, yeah, because we also do other things. I partner with other organizations, like the nonprofit that I have as a fiscal sponsor. Um, who, again, if you're if anyone's interested in donating, you also can get a tax deduction. But that particular nonprofit, we've done work in the past where they subsidize uh, literally half the cost of whatever um, the, 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 the client needed, right, to do their work. So I've done that already. The fun is just doing it and going more um, deeper into it and trying to help as many more as possible. So to help as many as possible and to raise as much money as possible, how can mm-hmm. local businesses or and or the community help? How can our listeners help you in the fund? Yes, I'm um, really just share the, the so you go to the website www.elc.com slash legal fund, all one word. 
share that far and wide. We have uh, we were featured in BlackNews.com, BlackEnterprise.com. Share that article far and wide. We have a press release. You can contact me um, at info at elcesq.com to get that and really spread, spread that around. And then also, of course, donating, right? Like I said, you can donate directly to the, the law firm uh, with, through that website, or you can donate through our fiscal sponsor, which um, are typically for larger, and I say larger, more than $25, right? Um, that they're they willing to accept on behalf of the fund. And, and there you can receive a tax deduction, um, a deductible uh, ability on your, your, your donation. So really just sharing far and wide. And I've had people do that and really have great feedback. Even, you know, this podcast, you guys just, you know, illustrating and showing on your website helps a lot. And then of course the money, right? <laughs> if you just <laughs> donate the cash, that'll be very helpful. Well, what you're doing is super important and it's super valuable to the community. And I, I, I have to ask you, and you're probably this answer, there's so many different ways you can answer it, but what for you is the most rewarding part of this fund? Oh, um, I've had, I love the application process. Part of the application process was for them to send a video to just a explain who they are, sh- illustrate and show. I wanted the people to see a real face around like, what does this, business owner looks like what I mean we had investment funds people who were interested in creating investment funds we have you know uh, a di- uh, someone who invented something called a dental wig and she has a patents like these are very investable <laughs> I say investable but businesses that that, that anyone would want to invest in these are businesses that are are viable that have great plans that so one of them I've seen them work uh, I've been it's, I've been in touch with them before so I'm seeing them from afar that they're raising funds of their own and so that's the most rewarding is seeing how hard people work, seeing how valuable their ideas are and their businesses are, and being able to contribute and support them the best way that I can through not only the legal, but bringing on my community and the community abroad to say, we all need to support you and just backing them. Because one thing, one, one of my motivations for even becoming a crowdfunding securities lawyer, whereas before I was more of a broader community development lawyer, I did real estate development, but one reason why I decided to be sort of in the finance business world, a, a securities world, was I would see so many talented entrepreneurs and they would reach a plateau. And that plateau was, I, they actually needed capital to grow and to sustain and they didn't have it. And so this is really the most rewarding part is seeing that the need is there. And to illustrate to the rest of the world, the need is really there and that we need the, the support and the resources. And so just sharing that and just sharing the burden, I should speak, that it's not just on one person or one firm or even one fund, but all of us can be part of the solution. Definitely. It's so awesome hearing you talk about it and all the stories that I'm sure you're going to have and that you have had already as your fund continues to grow and all the businesses that you help now and in the future. It's really exciting work that you're doing. Um, and before we wrap, uh, what was that website again for people if they want to donate to your fund? Oh, yes. Yeah. So www.elcesq.com slash legal fund, all one word, word, L-E-G-A-L-F-U-N-D. Gotcha. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're really doing important work and we appreciate all you do for the community. Thank you so much, Max. I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. Once again, this episode was sponsored by Firm Space and we will see you next time. This episode of Chicago Business Radio has been brought to you by Firm Space your private sanctuary for productivity and growth. To learn more, go to firmspace.com.